Well, we're in the 118th Psalm tonight, and so I invite your attention there. Um, I don't know who taught last week, but uh, with what, two verses in Psalm 117? And then next week, by the way, we're going into Psalm 119, so you have the shortest chapter in the Bible in Psalm 117 and the longest chapter in the Bible in Psalm 119 and sandwiched in between the, the shortest and the longest chapters is Psalm 118 and uh, it might interest you and it might not just some kind of a little interesting facts about this psalm before we, we even read it is that uh, Psalm 18, 118 is the middle of your Bible it's the middle chapter it's the middle section in fact uh, Psalm, uh, the Bible has 594 chapters before Psalm 118 and 594 chapters after Psalm 118. If you add up all the chapters except Psalm 118, you get a total of 1,188 chapters. Psalm 118 verse 8 is the middle of our Bible. It should be, uh, and if it is the central verse of Scripture, we would expect it to have an important message, wouldn't we? Listen to what it says. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. Amen? That's a pretty good verse. It's a relevant verse for us today, isn't it? It's, it's a good thing to trust in the Lord and not to trust in man. Uh, as we read this psalm in just a moment, I want you to consider this fact and have this kind of as a point of reference as we read it. Psalm 113 to Psalm 118 are special psalms. They're the Hallel psalms. We get our word hallelujah. Uh, they were songs that were sung during the festival, uh, festivals in the Jewish calendar, and especially uh, the festival of tabernacles and most believe the festival of Passover. Which means that these psalms, Psalm 113 through Psalm 118, would have been sung by our Lord and his disciples just a few hours before he was arrested and let out to die on the cross. And so with that in mind, we come to the last of the Hallel Psalms, which means that what we're about to read was the last song off of the lips of our Lord Jesus prior to his crucifixion. So what we're going to read then is... Uh, is what was going through his mind as he was anticipating what was about to take place because none of it was going to come as a surprise to him. He knew that he was the lamb slain before the foundation of the world and he had already said to his disciples on more than one occasion, I must go up to Jerusalem and suffer and die and be raised the third day. And it was just like this. <laughs> They were clueless. Uh, they, they were clueless. 
they, they couldn't, they didn't, couldn't grasp it. They, they didn't have the, uh, they were, that just totally passed over them. And it wasn't until after the resurrection that this began to take shape in their heart and they began to understand it. But as the Lord Jesus faces what he knew was inevitable, this is what he was singing with his disciples. Psalm 118. I read it. We're going to read the whole psalm. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. For his steadfast love endures forever. Let Israel say his steadfast love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say his steadfast love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say his steadfast love endures forever. Out of my distress I called on the Lord. The Lord answered me and set me free. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is on my side as my helper. I shall look in triumph on those who hate me. It is better to take refuge in the Lord. This is the central verse of the Bible now. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. All nations surround me. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. They surrounded me, surrounded me on every side. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. They surrounded me like bees. They went out like a fire among thorns. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. I was pushed hard so that I was falling, but the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. Glad songs of salvation are in the tents of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. The right hand of the Lord exalts. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. I shall not die, but I shall live and recount the deeds of the Lord. Now, think about that. Think about when he's singing this on his way to the cross. I shall not die, but I shall live. The Lord has disciplined me severely, but he has not given me over to death. Open to me the gates of righteousness that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous shall enter through it. I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Think about that. Think about the context. Think about when he's singing it. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house 
of the Lord. The Lord is God. He has made his light to shine upon us. Now listen to this. Bind the festal sacrifice with cords upon the horns of the altar. You are my God and I will give thanks to you. You are my God and I will extol you. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good for his steadfast love endures forever. And all the church said, Amen. Amen. My, my, my. A little ba background about this particular psalm. Uh, we, we don't know for certain if this is a Davidic psalm or not. Uh, there are indications in this psalm that it was written by David, but there's not an absolute certainty uh, that it was written by David. Uh, the, uh, this, the occasion for the writing of this psalm is also uh, not specifically uh, set, told to us, but we know that it comes on the heels of some great victory that God has miraculously given to the nation of Israel. So we have to come down on one of two sides. Either it was a Davidic psalm or it was a post-exilic psalm and was written after the return of Ezra and Nehemiah after the time of their 70-year captivity. My personal conviction is that, that it has enough indication to me that it's written by David. That may be wrong, and when I get to heaven, David may tell me, no, that was not one of the Psalms that I wrote. But I, I, I think he'll forgive me if I, if I uh, give him some credit for that. Now, God, I think, has placed uh, the theme verse there in verse 24 for this Psalm. And I think we can kind of build our study of this Psalm around this theme verse. Look at verse 24. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Now, in context, he's talking about a specific day. This is the day. And he's talking about the day, he's just talked about the time when the, the sacrifice would be bound to the horns of the altar. And, the, and he goes on to say, this is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. And so when he's talking about this day, this is the day the Lord hath made. He's talking about the day in which God uh, placed the sins of mankind upon the, his perfect son, bound him to the altar, and he died for our sins. Now, this is the day the Lord hath made, and he says, that's something to rejoice about. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice. Now, he's talking here about the whole issue of time. This is the day. I think he's talking about not just chronological time, uh, although that is a part of it, but I think he's talking about what is called in the Bible chronos time, which means it means time that, that is a day, not just 24 hours, but a day that is filled with significance because God is at work in that day. And sometimes day in the Old Testament means more than a, just a 24-hour time. Sometimes it, does, it is 
marked off by the barriers of, uh, of 24 hours. But sometimes, like the phrase, the Lord's day, that's more than a 24-hour period. That is, a, that is a time in which God will work in a specific and powerful way. The Lord's day is a time related to his coming again, when he will come, this time not as the gentle Jesus, meek and mild, but he'll come as uh, riding a white horse, being the judge of the earth. And so uh, this is the theme here. This is the day. Let's, let's look at, at that whole issue of time and how it relates to us. The amazing thing is, God has given to every human being 86,400 seconds every day of their life. No more and no less. We can't borrow against it. We can't go back and retrieve wasted moments from yesterday. What we do not use carefully and wisely is lost forever. Now, the scripture says that one day we'll give an account to God for how we have invested and used life or our time. Uh, I think it was Ben Franklin who said, don't squander time, for time is the stuff life is made of. And if I give you a moment or an hour of my time, I've given you the most expensive thing I can give you. I've given you an hour of my life. An hour I can't get back. The only thing I can do with time is use it. I can't save it. We must use it. Now, how many of you will agree with me that the older we get, the faster that time goes by? Amen? Somebody said life is like a roll of toilet paper. The closer you get to the end of the roll, the faster it goes. And I, I think that's a pretty good analogy. And, uh, you know, as I get older, I, I see that happening. Uh, one, one fellow said, when, I, when as a child I laughed and wept, time crept. When as a youth I dreamed and talked, time walked. When I became a full-grown man, time ran. When I later, when, when later, as I older grew, time flew. Soon I shall find, while traveling on, time gone. Now, if we're not careful, we will be victimized by what I call the tyranny of the urgent. We will live our life oiling the wheel that squeaks the loudest and we'll become a reactor rather than an actor on the stage of life. And so this text to me is a beautiful text to challenge us as God's people. The psalmist said, this is the day the Lord has made. And so really the title of the study is this, the time of your life. The time of your life. And I'm asked the question, why? This is the day the Lord hath made. We ought to rejoice and be glad in it. And so the question is, why? Why is that so? Well, let me give you several reasons why. Uh, you have it on your listing guide there. The first reason why is because today is a passionate and patient day. You know, you say, Brother Tom, what do you mean by that? Well, uh, notice what he says here in verses 1 through 4 again. Let me, let me just read the, that. He says, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is 
good. Now, how do we know that God is good? If you've been on some mission trips, I've spent a lot of time in India and some other cultures. Uh, most of those cultures do not believe the fact that God is good. They believe the fact that God is uh, fickle, that God is arbitrary, uh, that, that he stands over them uh, with a sledgehammer ready to hit them the, if they make the slightest mistake. Uh, they, they don't understand. How do we know that God is a good God? Well, he answers that question by the next phrase. He says, For his steadfast love endures forever. That word, steadfast love, is the Hebrew word hesed. It is a beautiful Old Testament word. It is a very full word. It, it, it's a word that carries with it the idea of God's gracious, loving restraint. Hesed is those qualities that are in the heart of God put into one word. And it says, that, that God is passionate in that he loves us. And he is patient in that his steadfast love lasts forever. Now, aren't you glad that God, God's love is, is not a, uh, a fickle sort of thing, but God's love is faithful. God, and even when we're not faithful, Paul said to Timothy, even when we're not faithful, he abides faithful still. I'm so grateful. So this is, a, this is a, a day when we can experience the patience and the passion of God. Uh, notice in verse 2, he calls upon Israel to, um, and he says um, in verse 2, let Israel say his steadfast love endures forever. Now that's the public. He's saying that, that all the community ought to say that God's love, God is good, and we know that because his steadfast love, his hesed, endures forever. It will never end. I've been rereading Randy Alcorn's book on heaven the last week. And, and, and he's helped me so much to, to begin to get a handle on this thing of eternity. And, and this thing of the never-ending love of God. And he's helped me to see that heaven is so much richer and fuller than I could ever have dreamed it was. And, and, you know, I, I've, never, I've never been enamored with streets of gold. I've never been enamored with playing a harp on a cloud. I, there, there's something about that that doesn't draw me to want to be a part of that. And Randy has helped me to understand the physicality of heaven on this new earth and the new and living in, in the new Jerusalem and on the new earth and this new universe that he's going to recreate forever. And throughout eternity we will experience the presence and the everlasting hesed grace and love of God forever and ever. Well, he says, uh, let Israel, and then he says, let the house of Aaron. That's, that's referring to the priest. Well, the priest ought to get in on that. 
under uh, Hesed of God. And, and, and then, here's where you and I come in. Look what he says in verse 3. I, I'm, I'm so glad he put this in there. Let the, uh, uh, let, verse 4. Let those who fear the Lord say his steadfast love endures forever. Folks, that's you and me. You know, I don't fit into that Israeli community. I don't fit into that line of Aaron, but I fit into the category of those that fear the Lord. In the Old Testament, if you were not a Jew, but you worshipped, monotheistically worshipped Jehovah God, you were called a God-fearer. And if you study the book of Acts, the most fertile field for the gospel, once he got past uh, the rejection of the Jews in the synagogues, he would turn to those who were God-fearers. And they were those who believed in one God, and uh, their hearts were tender, and they were open to receive. This is the day the Lord hath made, and God is good because he's shown his passion and his patience to us. I love the chorus that we sing around here, and we sing it in a lot of places. His love never fails. It never gives up. It never runs out on me. Did I get it right? Is that the way it is? And it goes on to say, and on and on and on and on it goes. His love never fails. Right, let's take a minute. How would you answer that? His love, fill in the blank. His love keeps me going. His love Help me fill in the blank. His love what? Anybody? Say it loud. His love is all I need. Somebody else? Everlasting. His love, everlasting. Never runs out on me. His love blesses you. Amen. His love. All right, let's go quickly. My wife told me I had one minute for each verse, and I've already blown that. All right. So it's not only a, a, a passionate and, and patient day. It's a provided day. Look what he says. The, this is the day that the Lord has made. This is the day the Lord made. In other words, it's a gift. It's a gift. Life is a gift from God. And, and, and so it, it helps to create in us an attitude of gratitude to God. That he, I'm alive because of, he allowed me to be alive because of his hesed, because of his grace. And, and this is the day the Lord has made and I'm getting to experience this day. I, I love that parable in Matthew chapter 25 verses 14 to 30. We won't read it, but it's the parable of the, of the talents. And he gives one man five, one man three uh, talents, and, and, and one man two, rather, and one man one. And you know the, the parable, how that he, he gave them the talents, and then he came back later to see how they had invested those talents. And the man that had five now had ten, the man that had two now had four, and the man that had one just brought back one because he had been afraid of the way the master would, uh, uh, would, would require uh, 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 that talent back from him and so out of fear he hid it uh, and that whole parable has something to say about applying it to time uh, that parable says all men have a talent use it or lose it and judgment is coming 
And so the three points of that parable is this. All men have time. We all have the same time. We all have the same number of minutes and seconds and hours in a 24-hour day. It doesn't matter if you're a banker, a lawyer, a, a candlestick maker, a preacher, or you live in a, in a, in a lean-to in India. We've all got the same amount of time. In a day. But not in a life. Some men die young. Some men die old. And we don't know why. But we're all given a certain amount. Some are five, some are two, some are one. David Brainerd died at 29 years old. Great, great man of God, missionary to the American Indians. Died of consumption as the Indians watched him cough up blood on the snow as he prayed for them. And God used David Brainerd, who was the soon-to-be son-in-law of Jonathan Edwards, but he died at 29. We don't understand why. Or, or why Dawson Trotman, the founder of the Navigators, one of the great, great disciples in the history of the modern church, Billy Graham used him in his early days in training all of his counselors. I was discipled by the Navigators on the island of Okinawa in 1968. I, Dawson Trotman was great man. If you've never read his biography called Dawes, get it and read it. You'll do yourself a favor. But he died trying to save someone from drowning in his 30s. And then you compare that to Dr. R.G. Lee. I heard him preach when he was 91. You know, Dr. Criswell, J. Harold Smith, preached for me when he was 88. My wife says the most handsome man she's ever seen. Besides me, of course. Uh, no, including me. 88-year-old J. Harold Smith. God let him live a long life. We don't know why. We don't know how much time God's going to give us. But we know this. God's given us an amount of time. And we use it or lose it. We use it or lose it. And judgment is coming. So there, it is a, it is a, a day that's provided by God. Number three, real quickly. It is a praiseworthy day. And so we want to look at the text here. And there are several reasons why we're given in the psalm that we ought to praise the Lord. Look at verse 5. And, and I would say the first answer is for answered prayer. We need, to, we need to praise the Lord for answered prayer. He says in verse 5, Out of my distress I called on the Lord. The Lord answered me, and set me free. Now, that's why I'm inclined to believe that this is a Davidic psalm. Because in David's psalms, there's always this distress motif. He's always in a hard place. He's always in a difficult place. And he's crying out to God. And I don't know exactly what the background here may be. It may have been the time when Absalom, his son, tried to... Uh, Tried, tried a coup d'etat, tried to overthrow David from the throne. And in the midst of that, uh, Absalom was killed. You remember that. But, but he turned a lot of David's former friends against him and engaged in battle against him. And that may be what David is talking about here. But, but he's saying, I called on the Lord, and the Lord heard me, and he answered me. And so 
the psalmist is saying that that's worthy of praise that God is a prayer answering God um, aren't you glad of that aren't you glad he said call unto me and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not so God is a prayer answering God number two uh, it's a praiseworthy day because of the courage he gives us. In verses 6 through 7, he says, The Lord is on my side. I will not fear what man can do unto me. Man, you're talking about uh, uh, having somebody on your side uh, that uh, will uh, put a, a silence to the bullies of this culture. Uh, we've got the Lord is on our side. The Lord is on our side. And so we, we need to be thankful for the courage that he gave. The nation surrounded me. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. And then verses 10 through 13, uh, we need to praise him because of the judgment that he renders on the surrounding nations. Uh, he, he says in, in verse 10, he says, all nations surrounded me. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. They surrounded me, surrounded me on every side. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. They surrounded me like bees. They went out like fire among the thorns. Uh, thorns burn quickly and burn very hot, but they don't burn very long. He said, I cut them off. I was pushed hard so that I was falling, but the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength and song. He has become my salvation. So what, what he's saying, we need to praise the Lord that God is bringing judgment. He, he's bringing judgment, the psalmist is saying, on the surrounding nations. God will take care of us, is what the psalmist is saying. He doesn't always do it on our time schedule, nor the way we would want him to do it, but he is to be trusted in all of that. And in verses 14 through 17, He's praiseworthy because he provides salvation. In verse 14, um, he, he, I mean, verse 16, he says, The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. The right hand of the Lord exalts. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. Uh, now picture Jesus singing this uh, as in verse 17. I shall not die, but I shall live. And then he's saying that lastly, that we need to praise the Lord for his limited discipline. Uh, I, I think it was the, the guy who does the financial planning radio show, what's his name? Dave Ramsey, who kind of popularized the phrase when you ask how you're doing, his response is, better than I deserve. Well, in, in these verses, I can just hear Dave Ramsey saying that. Uh, God's limited discipline. Look, look in verse 18. He says, The Lord has disciplined me severely, but, blessed conjunction, but he has not given me over to death. In other words, 1 Corinthians 10, 13 is written on this page <laughs> in my mind. There has no test taken you but such as is common to man. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tested above that you are able. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13. So I thank God for his discipline 
but I thank God that his discipline is limited. That he, he, he disciplines us, but he doesn't give us all that we deserve. Amen? Amen. And he's, he, he disciplines us not to hurt us, but to turn us back to him. Okay? Now, so let's go on to the next one real quickly. Um, today is not only a praiseworthy day, but today is a present day. A present day. This is the day. Not was the day or will be the day, but it is the day. Um, I, I heard about a preacher who announced that he was going to preach on God is love. And the more he reflected on that, he said, you know, God, that's just a subject too big for my little mind. God and love. I can't get a handle around the immensity of the love of God. He said, I'm just going to preach on the word is. God is love. And you know, that's a good word. Not God was, not God will be, but God is right now. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. He said, I am the bread of life. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Today is a is this day, this present day. This is the day. Uh, it, it, this is a challenge to us to not live our lives in the past. Paul said in Philippians 3.13, forgetting those things which are behind. Forgetting. You know, some of us need to forget some things because God has forgotten them. And if God has forgotten it, then I have the right to forget it. God puts our sins behind his back. Listen to this. Never to remember them anymore. Isn't that a good word? He puts our sins behind his back. Never to remember them anymore. I'm so grateful for that. So it's a present day. Uh, then look at uh, number five. It is a precious day. It is a precious day. This is the day the Lord has made. Uh, precious means rare. It means valuable. And there will never be, never, ever, ever be another day just like this one. This group will never be together in exactly the same way that we are tonight. Or we may all be in the same room. But we'll never be in exactly the same place where we are tonight. This is a precious day. And that's why the Lord said, number your days and apply your heart to wisdom. Number. You know, we have a tendency to number our years, don't we? <laughs> I think the older we get, the more we have a tendency to do it. We number our years. But the scripture tells us to number our hours, our days, our seconds. Listen to this. To realize the value of one year, ask a student who failed a grade in school. To realize the value of one month, ask a mother who gave birth to a premature baby. To realize the value of an hour, Ask a businessman whose flight was delayed an hour 
and he missed an important, important business deal. How valuable is a minute? Ask the man who had the heart attack in the restaurant. And the EMT happened to be sitting at the next table and CPR saved his life. How valuable are? How valuable is a millisecond? Ask the Olympic swimmer who missed qualifying by six tenths of one second. Time really is valuable. Like a coin. You can spend it any way you wish, but you can only spend it one time. Then it's a providential day, and I, I won't say much about this. We'll finish up in just a minute. It's a providential day. This is the day God has made. That simply means this. This is a day when God's providence is at work behind the scenes in ways that we may not even be aware of. That God is at work. Like Henry Blackaby taught us years ago, God is always at work. We just need to find out where he's working and join him. And so it's a providential day. It, there, there are days when I can't feel God very much. You ever have those days? But does that mean God is any less real? No. Why? Because God has taught us in his word that he is at work around us and in us and through us. And we are to believe what God says about us rather than what our feelings say. As Martin Luther said, feelings come, feelings go, and feelings are deceiving. My want is the word of God. Nothing else is worth believing. So it is a providential day. I remember uh, the, the night when they did my CT scan in the emergency room in Baptist Hospital, and the doctor came out, and he said, I've got good news and bad news. The good news is that all of your pain, uh, your, your lower stomach pain, is diverticulitis. And he said, we can do something about that. He said, uh, when he said, that's the good news. I thought, what is the bad news? He said, the bad news is we found a tumor in your right kidney, and we're almost certain that it's cancer, and your kidney will probably have to come out, which it, it did. They removed my kidney, and the cancer was contained in the kidney, Totally. I didn't have to have chemo or anything else. Praise the Lord. I've been cancer-free now for 13 years. But, but he made a statement. He said, diverticulitis saved your life. He said, we don't normally find, when we do that test, like we did on your stomach, we don't usually go up high enough to catch the kidney. But he said, we call this kind of thing an incidental finding. I looked at incidental finding. That was a providential finding. Amen? Amen? God was behind the scenes. I believe that with all my heart. God was behind the scenes. This is the day. It's a precious day. It is a providential day. And then I just want to say quickly, it is a day filled with potential. Filled with potential. This is the day the Lord hath made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. This could be the day you could be saved. If you've never been saved. This could be the day of your salvation. 
This could be the day that you would be set free from bondage, from a sin that's held you in its grip perhaps for years. This could be the day when you could so surrender your heart to Him that He could fill you with His Spirit. This is the day. This could be the day that God could release you from unforgiveness and set you free from the bondage of holding unforgiveness in your heart. You see, that's what happened in Knoxville. I preached on unforgiveness and God began to set people free to forgive. A time management expert, and some of you guys in here that in the secular world you will have heard this story because it's used quite often. And if you've heard it before, just smile at me like you've never heard it before. But a time management expert was talking to a group of folks and he was demonstrating this whole idea of time management. He had a large mouth jar and he began to put some big rocks in that jar. He filled that wide mouth jar full of big rocks. And then he said to the executives gathered there, he said, I know you believe the jar's full. We do. You can't get another rock like that in here. It's full. So he gets him some pea gravel, and he pours that pea gravel in there, shakes it around a little, and the jar fills up again. He said, how many of you think the jar is full now? Oh, man, can't get anything else in there. And so he gets some sand, and he pours some sand in the jar. He keeps pouring, and it goes in between all the pea gravel and the big rocks till it fills up again. Now they're kind of suspicious. So they're, they're, they're not as quick to raise their hand when he says, now how many of you believe the jar is full? Nobody raised their head. They're wondering what's next. He gets some water. And he pours water in that large mouth jar until it fills up with water and sand and pea gravel and big rocks. And then he asks those executive types, now, what does this teach us about time management? I know it teaches us that it doesn't matter how busy your schedule is. You can always work in something else. The teacher said, you totally missed it. Doesn't teach that at all. It teaches but if you don't put the big rocks in first, you'll never get them in the jar. You see, the point is that the big rocks have to be priority. Time with God, relationship with God, relationship with God's people, investment in our family and our children. You see, if we don't make them priority, then the gravel and sand and water, the tyranny of the urgent will rob us of that which is most important. And so this whole idea, this is the day the Lord hath made, is a call for us to make sure we know what the big rocks are and make sure we get them in the jar of our life first.